Welcome to the Game Changers Podcast, where we connect trending, evidence-based pharmacotherapy to your pharmacy and medicine practice. In today's conversation, we're talking about whether or not use of perioperative gabapentin has positive outcomes. Let's hear the evidence from Jeff. So today uh, we are going to be talking um, something about, we usually don't talk about, which is something around surgeries. And again, uh, usually that's that's an area that I don't dip my toe into too all that frequently, um, just because, you know, surgeries are surgeries. They often don't have a ton of pharmacotherapy associated with it. But this was a fascinating paper that came out of a jam internal medicine that I thought was re- really was worth taking a look at. And it has to do with using gabapentin perioperatively uh, to help with pain. Now, you know, again, gabapentin seems to have replaced opioids in a, in a lot of pain management strategies just because the theory is that it's obviously safer and all that other stuff. And I don't disagree with that, though. I think gabapentin certainly has its own problems associated with it. And I think we're using it more and more uh, for visceral pain where there's very little data showing that it actually works. But it is certainly part in many uh, surgical post-op and, and protocols as part of the uh, you know multimodal therapy that almost everybody has gone to uh, for treating post-operative pain. And of course, it aims to use multiple drugs at smaller doses and the primary goal is to reduce opioid use uh, by, again, using multiple other non-opioid use medications to help treat pain. And that includes, of course, non-steroidals, acetaminophen, uh, topical therapies, and of course, gabapentinoids. And there have been a few studies that have suggested that multimodal analgesia improves pain control, decreases opioid use and adverse effects, especially, again, in the perioperative and postoperative setting. And actually, the American Pain Society does recommend gabapentin as a component of multimodal analgesia. So, you know, again, the use of gabapentin I, I think while it's not incredibly strong in for visceral pain, uh, there's been a couple of studies that shows as a component of multimodal analgesia, it may have a role, right? Um, and so because of all that, and because of the uh, notion that we need to try and use less opioids overall in the surgical population, the use of gabapentin has tripled from 2002 to 2015 in overall prescriptions. It's actually um, uh, one of the most common, the 10th most prescribed drug in the U.S. since 2016, which is kind of interesting. Now, of course, gabapentinoids have adverse effects. They, you know, cause drowsiness, they cause pedal edema, uh, they can cause stuff like that. And there's some de- dependency issues. People can get psychologically dependent on gabapentinoids as well. Again, you know, while some studies have suggested as a multimodal thing, it may be beneficial for pain by itself, especially in the perioperative literature, there's actually not a lot of data showing that gabapentin is effective. In fact, there was a, a recent meta-analysis of randomized controlled trials that basically stated that the, the evidence for gabapentin's effectiveness in the perioperative setting is low quality opening to uh, owing to inconsistent and imprecise results and that it's analgesic and opioid sparing effects may be clinically insignificant. So again, you know, using gabapentin in the perioperative space may not actually be all that effective in treating pain and decreasing opioid use. And so this study uh, was a retrospective cohort database study where they wanted to take a look at the association of perioperative gabapentin use of the in-hospital adverse clinical events. Um, so again, not, not necessarily taking a look at its efficacy in treating pain, but trying to take a look at its association with a, a number of adverse effects that we're going to talk about in a second in older patients undergoing surgery. So they hypothesized that gabapentin use would be associated with an increased risk of three uh, adverse outcomes in particular, including delirium, pneumonia, and in hospital death even. The investigators used the Premier Healthcare Database, which is, of course, one of the largest databases of healthcare data in, in uh, the U.S. It's an all-payer database containing data from over for more than 900 small-sized to medium-sized hospitals that covers approximately 25% of patient admissions in the U.S. Many, many groups of investigators do use the, use the Premier Healthcare database. I, I think it's pretty pricey to, to get that information, but they do 
do that. And it has uh, numerous data points, including demographic stuff, admission status, diagnosis codes, discharge status, et cetera, et cetera. This was a retrospective study. So they did use the strobe reporting guideline, the uh, strengthening of reporting of observational studies in epidemiology, um, which I think most large retrospective studies should really try and do now. You know, uh, the problem with retrospective studies is that sometimes they can be all over the place as, as far as their methods and, and statistics. And if you follow the strobe guidelines, I think that, that it makes it more uniform and, and makes the association that you find a little stronger. They looked at patients age 65 or older. So again, these were older patients who underwent a major surgical procedure within seven days of hospital admission, 2009 to 2018. So a nine-year gap. They had included pretty much all major surgical procedures, including cardiac, gastrointestinal, genital urinary, orthopedic, which is pretty much where I see a lot of gabapentin used in my world is a lot of uh, orthopedic post-op sets, uh, neurologic, including uh, procedures involving the brain, thoracic and vascular. So pretty much every surgery you could think of was included in this uh, cohort. Basically, they did exclude patients who were discharged before on the post-operative day two that they thought those were, again, kind of short day or, or same day surgeries. They define gabapentin use based on the exposure of the day of surgery on days one or two. So basically the, the exposure defining period where patients received gabapentin within day one or two of the surgery. Um, often gabapentin is started before surgery because of its uh, delayed action um, and then continued uh, postoperatively for a period of time. They looked at that as well in patients who actually started gabapentin before the surgery, which they referred to as perioperative use. They excluded patients who had pretty much any mental health uh, diagnosis code, including psychosis. They also, patients who anyone who received antipsychotics beyond or before or on the postoperative day two were excluded excluded from the study or had diagnosis codes for other indications for gabapentin, such as alcohol use disorder, fibromyalgia, neuropathic pain. So basically, if you were a long-term user of gabapentin, they did not include you in this data set. And they also looked at anyone who had contraindications to gabapentin, which there aren't a ton of them out there, but they excluded those patients as well. They also excluded patients who had a higher acuity of illness. So this would probably be primarily cardiothoracic patients who were probably going to be on mechanical ventilation for a day or two after the surgery or had a feeding tube, uh, feeding tube before on postoperative day two, again, because these were just higher acuity illnesses, and those patients were unlikely to receive gabapentin orally. They then used the data from the Premier database to look at, at medications, procedures, the billing. They looked at the day of surgery, postoperative day, and they calculated total uh, daily gabapentin dose in milligrams given during the exposure-defining period. One of the big problems with studies like this is a mortal time bias, and, and they to, to avoid that, they used the group used the gabapentin, and the group that did not use gabapentin this have survived the exposure defining period. So, so basically the, the groups that, that they did compare had to basically get through the, the, the period of time when they were on gabapentin. Uh, so there wasn't a bias associated with that. As you might imagine, in this kind of large database study, they had to develop a large uh, covariate a model, which included all sorts of demographics and other issues, which may skew the results one way or another, including age, race, type of surgery, acuity of surgery, and many, many, many others. Uh, the primary outcome was delirium, uh, which they identified using a a validated claims-based algorithm. So uh, though delirium is usually diagnosed, you know, in real time, it can be uh, identified uh, in you know, using past data, basically using this claims algorithm that has been validated in other studies. It either notes that delirium is directly mentioned in the notes, 
or uh, implicit. There were diagnostic codes of delirium or encephalopathy that were new. And, and they note that this uh, scoring system has a positive predictive value of 80% um, as validated in other studies, basically. Secondary outcomes, they looked at new antipsychotic use, which has a positive predictive value of 92% for delirium. Pneumonia, which is based on diagnosis codes, plus the use of new intravenous antibiotics uh, or uh, imaging, and then in-hospital death as well. Uh, the, the model was a propensity score matching uh, with all the, the covariates they had, um, and they estimated the probability of receiving gabapentin from a logistic regression model. So this included all patient hospital load characteristics, and they did a one-to-one -one, uh, neighbor matching and then did the covariant balance, basically. And I mean, I think that's pretty standard for these large uh, database studies where they're trying to minimize bias as much as they possibly can uh, by, by coming up with large models that match people for some of these uh, things like age and, and other things that, that would uh, explain some of the bias between the two, basically. They also examined the association and subgroups, uh, and the cutoff was age, so patients less than age 80 or greater than age 80, so uh, the very elderly versus the kind of elderly, if you will, gender, comorbidity burden, um, and for that they use the comorbidity index of less than four or greater than four, the presence of chronic kidney disease, because of course we know that the gabapentin is cleared renally, so if, if they had the presence of that, that might skew things, uh, opioid dose at baseline and surgical type, basically. So what did they find in this study? Well, we were going to talk about that right after we uh, hear from our sponsor, CE Impact. CE Impact CE memberships help you connect your learning to practice with unique education like this podcast. Go to ceimpact.com to learn more. So we're talking about uh, the study looking at uh, uh, perioperative use of gabapentin as a multimodal pain uh, strategy and looking at adverse effects associated with that using the Premier database. Uh, because it was such a large database, uh, they actually found that over 960,000 patients, the most uh, uh, mean age of 676 and 60% female were eligible in, in, in this paper. Of these patients, um, 119,000 patients received gabapentin uh, between the day of surgery and two days after surgery. So again, would, would call those the perioperative patients. Most common type of surgery, as I've seen certainly in my area of the country, was orthopedic surgery. And in fact, that was 76.4% of patients uh, of the surgeries they looked at. However, gabapentin patients were used more frequently treated if analgesics included opioids as well. And that certainly makes sense because as we all know, total knees and total hips can be fairly painful. Uh, they found that in orthopedic surgeries, there was a high, higher daily opioid dose. Again, not all that surprising. They also found that in orthopedic uh, uh, surgeries and other surgeries, uh, antidepressant use was actually more common and, and anxiolytics were more common uh, in, in the propensity score matching uh, in, in uh, gabapentin, between gabapentin and those that did not have a gabapentin. So what did they find as far as the primary outcome of delirium? It, uh, they found that gabapentin was in fact associated with an increased risk of delirium, uh, and they, it was a relative risk of 1.28, and that, and that was statistically significant uh, per 100 persons. They also found that gabapentin was associated with new antipsychotic use, uh, which was uh, also statistically significant with a relative risk of 1.17. And pneumonia, which was much, the numbers were much lower, only 1.3 versus 1.2%, but because they had such a large database number, even that was statistically significant at the relative risk of 1.11. So about 11% increased risk of pneumonia, about a 17% increased risk of new antipsychotics, and a about a 28% increased risk of developing delirium in the postoperative space. And, and so, you know, and again, this propensity match model really tried to deal with the different types of surgeries, the ages, all the other things, which also might lead to 
to, to delirium, especially in the very elderly where surgery itself can just do that. There was not a difference between in hospital death between the two groups. And so even when, when they took a look at, at everything, the, the big increase was really in development of, of a new uh, new onset delirium. They looked at new at numerous breakpoints. Again, we talked about how they looked at patients over age 80 and under age 80 and gender and what type of surgery and all that. And pretty much the numbers pretty much remain true where there was somewhere between 20 and 30% increased risk of delirium in patients who received gabapentin between those who did not and a slightly lower decreased risk of new antipsychotic use and pneumonia pretty much uh, between all the different breakpoints that they basically found. So what they basically note in the, in the discussion is that they found that perioperative gabapentin was associated with a modest increased risk of delirium, new antipsychotic use, and pneumonia, but not within hospital death among patients over age 65 after major surgery. So again, the numbers aren't like, you know, mind blowing or anything along those lines, but they definitely are, uh, there definitely is an association there. And, you know, again, like so many things we talk about in medicine, we have to take a look at risk versus benefit. If the benefit of gabapentin in perioperative pain management is very low, then is it worth the risk of developing uh, delirium or, you know, pneumonia or any of these other things, basically. So uh, the, in the discussion, I think the authors do a pretty good job of, of, of talking about this, you know, safety signal that's been raised in their paper and saying that the safety of gabapentin in the, in the perioperative phase just may not be as good as we previously thought, that their study did a pretty good job of, of looking at a large, large cohort of older patients, and that they did a fairly good job of, of trying to match these patients and deal with covariates as, as best they possibly could in a retrospective study to, to deal with, with that stuff. They note that there's been numerous randomized controlled trials uh, uh, to look at gabapentin in, in perioperative pain. And again, most of these uh, uh, studies varied in terms of sample size and gabapentin regimen, which is another thing that, they, that I think is worth looking at. Uh, in, and they note that doses of gabapentin in, in these previous studies ranged anywhere from 300 a day to 1,200 a day, surgical type and, sur and, and study quality. Several meta-analyses have, have found that there were some reductions in pain intensity at 24 hours and opioid-related adverse effects associated with gabapentin. But again, all these studies have, have kind of been variable in their outcomes. And many of them did, even though they found statistical significance, may not be clinically meaningful because the, the, the uh, efficacy was so small. And so bottom line is, is that they found that, or they suggest in their, in, in their discussion that given what's becoming a, a, a fairly low level of efficacy of gabapentin in the perioperative space, you know, it would, given this uh, safety signal, should we kind of rethink using gabapentin in, in a perioperative uh, patients in the multimodal pain uh, situation to try and decrease opioid use. Now, of course, you know, like all studies, there's some limitations here. The biggest one, of course, is if there is a retrospective study. And so there's always the possibility of residual confounding. Keep in mind that, you know, we would never do a randomized control trial to find out the differences in uh, adverse effects with really any drug anywhere, anytime, really. And there's never going to be an RCT of a generic drug that's going to be a large enough to really take a look at safety well. So this very well may be the best data we ever get uh, taking a look at gabapentin as multimodal pain management. Uh, they note also that gabapentin users were, were uh, in general a little bit more healthier, just, you know, they had a lower comorbidity score and were more likely to have elective surgery compared with non-users. Though again, when they took a look at these, at these different factors, there wasn't a whole lot of difference in the outcomes. Again, across the board, there was about, uh, you know, a 20 to 30% increased risk of delirium and a, a statistically significant increase in everything 
everything else. So, you know, I think I kind of took from this is it's a fascinating study, you know, like all retrospective cohort studies are some issues you got to talk about and deal with, but uh, we may never get better data. And, and certainly in my world, I would say most and certainly orthopedic surgeries, but I'd even say many other types of surgeries have gabapentin on their order set for pain management. And I think this study raises some serious questions about should we continue this, especially in the elderly. Now, if you've got a younger patient, this data probably doesn't apply. Um, but if you have an older patient who's undergoing particularly orthopedic surgery, uh, I think you really have to think about, you know, the benefits and risks of gabapentin. And the, the thing is, is that, uh, you know, the, and many times the surgeon won't notice that, right? The surgeon may not note that, you know, gee, this person, you know, I, I, you know, I, I seem to have an, a high, higher number of patients who uh, seem to be agitated after surgery or require antipsychotics or things along those lines, because often those patients are going to be, uh, are going to get medicine uh, consults, right? So internal medicine will probably deal with that, especially in the United States. And so there may, it may be hard to find the connection between the two because you have multiple different teams taking a look at stuff. And so I think, you know, in, in, I think it really does beg the question, should we kind of retake a look at gabapentin? I think local studies may be able to, to help with this. And so, you know, if you're in a large health system, could you, you know, try a before after study where you, you know, you've been using gabapentin for six months and then you try it without gabapentin for six months and just see if there's any difference in, in uh, delirium rate, things along those lines, I think could really, really help local health systems make the decision about using gabapentin. So, so bottom line with this, this paper is, again, while it doesn't prove that gabapentin is associated with increased delirium, uh, there was, a, there was a, a certainly a statistically significant association with it. And while the, the overall risk is relatively modest, given that the overall benefit of gabapentin may be uh, even more modest, one does think that we need to probably retake a look at gabapentin as multimodal pain management. That is it for this week of uh, uh, Game Changers. Again, thanks for listening. Time flies. I don't know where it's going, but the most important day is today. Take care. CE Impact members, don't forget to claim your CE for today's episode. If you aren't a member, sign up today to get CE each week just for listening in. See the show notes for more information. We'll talk to you next week on the Game Changers Pharmacotherapy Podcast.